If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? I'm feeling epic. Epic? Yes, I'm feeling cinematic. That's epic. a nice feeling. I'm also feeling quite sensual. Oh, what? Um, yes, because it's all inspired by today's guest and her incredible work. Right. Which um, I have been following for a number of years. Good. And first properly focused on it actually when she had the show at Tetley um, in the north of England. In Leeds. In Leeds. Because um, one of the artists I work with, Jesse Flood Paddock, also did a show at Tetley maybe like a year before. I remember or that. six months before or something like that. So I started to sort of really keep an eye on that particular program because I really loved that space and I loved the curators and I loved everyone I met in Leeds. Um, so, yeah, and that was kind of why I then, um, you know, was paying attention and then suddenly realised that I had met our guest when I was like about 22 or something and I was working as a PR guy uh, to make money and um, I did PR for this ghost train which was organised by an artist and performance artist called Marissa Karneski and it was this ghost train with lots of different characters in it and um, it well, was like an, actual, an art ghost train yeah but it was an actual train that you would they, they kind of reconstructed this old like fairground ride it was right. amazing right, right. and they even had this guy from like Harry Potter who did like the um, sort of special effects and visual effects so that when you went into each kind of chamber or room it would have like all these amazing mystical things happen it was actually kind where of where was it in London yeah it was in Truman Brewery but I think it toured all over the UK and another person in it who I sort of followed since then was Paloma Faith as well and I remember going to a gig of hers about I don't know, six months after. And she was doing this kind of like rockabilly music. And it was in like um, Café de Paris or somewhere. And I remember watching her and thinking like, this woman's incredible. Like she's a pop star. Mm -hmm. But the music wasn't quite, it was almost like she was working with Jarvis Cocker. I can't quite remember it now. But she had this kind of very different thing going on. And then like a few years later, she, you know, turned up as Paloma Faith as this iconic kind of, Brit Award winner. Yeah, exactly. So it's just interesting to see the evolution, though, of creative people. Yes. Why I've brought this up. And because you and I have both experienced that ourselves. And I really respect um, how true to herself our guest is. Because I think even back then, you had such a strong sense of self. Like, and I, and I really remembered you as one of the kind of main faces in that ghost train, if that makes sense. Um, even though it wasn't like your name on the ghost train, but I remember you had such presence and you still do to this day. And I think it's growing and growing. And I'm so happy for you that you got nominated for the Turner Prize and have since become a joint winner of the Turner Prize, which is very, very cool. Yeah. And um, our guest has work in the Arts Council collection and is exhibiting all over the world. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Ty Shani. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> 
Hi. Yeah, it's interesting that 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 memory, that kind of thing that happened so long ago, and yeah. actually was a little bit my introduction. I was very young, and I met Mar- Marissa Karneski in an elevator. Really? Yeah. We were going to Orita Sherry's for a birthday party, and she was like, do you want to come and... Uh, joined the circuit. Who's Rita Sherry? She's an artist as well. She's oh, okay. a really brilliant artist um, who's been making work for a really long time, but also, like, I feel has been getting more recognition that she deserves. Great. And throws a good party? Very good party. <laughs> this, was like, good. this was like East London in the early 2000s. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I, I met Marissa and she's this incredibly uh, charismatic character. And I think, you know, it's, it's also interesting thinking about the people she chose. To be in it, because yeah. a lot of the people, um, not just uh, Paloma and myself, but a lot of the people, you know, have continued making work and like really interesting work. So it's a testament also, I think, to her kind of, I don't know, um, you know, sensibility that she chose these people to be in it. And Paul Keeve was the name of the, the illusionist. Oh, the oh, Harry yes, illusionist. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he, he put together these, and he taught us sleight of hand. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it was quite... I it love was a quite, of hand. Yeah, he I love me, close-up magic at a party. That's magic. He taught me a little bit. I wasn't very good, I have to say, but he did teach me how to, you know, make a card disappear. Mm-hmm. And um, Have also, you still like got that skill? No, I I'd really. I think I'd need to put in a few hours of uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> refresher. If you give me a cigarette and some sellotape, I can make it disappear. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at that trick. So do you feel, talking about the 2000s yeah. uh, and East London and the art scene, do you feel a nostalgia for a time like that because I've read somewhere that you felt that the the art scene isn't like that anymore I don't I'm not someone like I, I try to resist nostalgia because I think I think it's inevitable with age in a way mm. but I do try and resist you know this idea that things were always better before I think it's not a really constructive way to think about life mm. but I do there are things I miss about it or or that I think are a shame that have been lost which is I think there was a much more diverse kind of ecosystem in terms of places that people could show work than there is today. Right. And that, I think, is missing. Mm-hmm. You know, there were lots of places that were artist-run spaces that didn't really have, you know, they they were a means to an end in themselves. They weren't really thinking about becoming commercial galleries or becoming part of any institution. They were That was all they served was a place, a kind of social community place where artists could show work, really interesting programs. Some of them did go on to, to um, you know, be, become either commercial galleries mm. or, or the curators went on to work in institutions. But I think, you know, the fact that there was affordable places in London that you could put on things. Mm. And I certainly, my, my career started by putting on performances in weird venues, mm. you know, and that's something that now I I don't think I'd be able to do with the kind of uh, financial resources mm. I had. The infrastructure that's sort of there for emerging artists. Yeah, and, I yeah. mean, and they're very, very, like there are infrastructures, but they're very kind of strict in a way and, and they're very institutionalized already, you know, so you right. can you can get like a, their prizes, their awards, they're all these things, but there isn't any like real space for artists to self-organize in the way mm. that they used to be. And I thought that when I came to London, that's what blew my mind. I remember going to a place called 
uh, trade department in Brixton. And it was just like, yeah, it was the sense of having arrived in something really vibrant and exciting and that wasn't sanctioned by, you know, people with a lot of power. Really. Mm. You know what's interesting? I I um, obviously run the gallery in Margate and yeah. you've just had your work at the Turner Contemporary yeah. as part of the Turner Prize um, in Margate. And partly why I'm enjoying living in Margate and why I've moved there full time is the, that exact reason because I feel like people are putting on exhibitions in their flats. Yeah. And it really reminds me of a t- of earlier time. Excellent. And it's, I, f- I keep telling everyone I feel like I'm 14 years old again. Yeah. But I, I think that it's probably, the sad thing is it won't be in London anymore. That 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 whole kind of, it'll still happen, but I think it will happen in, like, well, it might be like Lisbon or it might happen yeah. like just other places. Mm. Yeah. But then it's a shame because London is such an amazing place. And, and it's got and so much to offer. Totally. And there's so many amazing people here as well. Yeah, exactly. But I do feel that a lot of people that are maybe, you know, like, I, I don't want to use the word ambitious because that kind of places it within a specific type of mode of creation. But I do think that there are people that maybe don't have the same ambitions, mm. you know, that want to have a more of um, maybe a kind of autonomy around their work. You know, for them, I think they do get pushed out of the city. Right, right. You know, I do. And I think that's a shame. I really do. Yeah. So thinking about performance, which is a central part yeah. to everything that you do in yeah. a way and always has been, I mm-hmm. think. Um, you were making performances a long time before times like Instagram and even the way it's so easy to record things now on telephones and document things. So when you were starting to make performances, it was kind of quite an unusual situation, I guess. Can you talk a bit about how different it was when you started out? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, I think that it's it's actually beyond the performance thing. I think it's interesting seeing how images are propagated through social media and social networks and seeing how, you know, often people feel like they've seen the work because they've seen um, a photograph mm-hmm. of it. So I think that there is something about that that's a bit, can be like weird where I, you know, like when I... But do you um, like it though? I love, I'm a very, very active and I think it's an amazing thing. And I'm, I've always, I've had a website since 2005. Oh, right. Uh, Pilangalia Collective off, gave me for Christmas my, my domain, like taishani.com. Oh, wow. And I really... Was it like, and they pay for your domain No, no, year. no. They just, you know, you could you could buy a register domain, it. Yeah, yeah, register yeah. it. So that was their Christmas present. Oh. Yeah. It's really nice. And at the time, people were very snobby about um, the internet. You know, they mm-hmm. were like, why would you have your work there? You know, like, it means that everyone can see it. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Everyone could see it then. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing is that I, I've always been really interested in the idea of having as much access as possible. I think where it becomes weird is like, for example... When I heard about uh, being nominated, I knew that that image of the performance in Glasgow had been seen a lot. Right. Right. And that was something that I was thinking about, like, should I recreate that in, you know, reconfigure it for the space or do something different? Because Mm. I did feel that there was this sense of like, oh, yeah, I, I know that because I've seen that image on Instagram. Right. So to almost encourage new visitors or even the yeah. same people to come again. Yeah, exactly. You need, so yeah. You were yeah. nominated for a show in Glasgow called Dark Continent. I Sem- call it DC Semiramis. DC Semiramis. Yeah. yeah. And let's talk about that. So Semiramis is uh, a fictional medieval town built for women. No. It's the, no, it's the, the, the leader <laughs> of the town, the goddess. <laughs> No, she was a she was a, an Assyrian warrior queen. Okay, and in the adapt the book that I've adapted, yeah, which is called the Book of the City of Ladies yeah. by Christine de Pizant, which is a medieval book. Yes, w- within which she creates a, a city of women. Um, the first stone that she places, like the cornerstone of her city, is like the Semiramis. Foundation stone. Exactly. So all the 
all the building blocks in her city are different women. So that was her first one. And since I'm quite interested in like scale and I thought I wanted to take one of the blocks of her city and make that. Do you know what I mean? Like make that of, as whole one yeah, world. Exactly. As one, like kind right, of a okay. Microcosm, macrocosm. Amazing. Yeah. So you, you and so you made the world of Semiramis, you kind of went um macro on it. Yeah. And then Within that, you it's like a, a performance goes on and you have 12 characters. Yes, but it's also an ongoing project that happened over five years. So many of the, the actual um, episodes... So I, I think of them as episodes as opposed to characters, really. Okay. So a lot of the episodes have been performed in different configurations before. So, for example, the one you mentioned earlier, the podcast for... The Serpentine's oh, Miracle. Oh, yeah, because yeah, there's an was... amazing podcast on on Apple and um, Spotify, which you can listen to free from The Serpentine, which is an do audio documentation of a performance that exactly. Ty did at So that one is one of the characters. So the characters kind of, the city started building itself in an imaginary way, not, not in like a kind of real way and mm -hmm. not in a, a material way. But I've often referred to it as a city in, in time and not in space. So there have been many iterations over the years of the different episodes or characters. Uh -huh. But this Semiramis was the first time that all 12 were together because I knew at some point... So I tried a few years ago, um, I really tried to get this project off the ground, which was like a Roman orgy that was going to last for 29 days. Uh, <laughs> as a performance? Yeah, and that each <laughs> performer would have their body double like as a kind of dummy, you know, like one of the you know, these kind of, like, perfect dummies. Yeah. And that it would be this... Well, like, like a mimic of them. Yeah, like, yeah. you know how, like, um, if, as an actor, if yeah. you die... Oh, a body double type yeah, thing. Yeah, kind of okay. thing. So, you know, that they could cut open or whatever. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so there'd be this perfect body double and it would last 29 days. It was, like, a really epic kind of idea. And no one... And people, you know, A, thought I was mad. B, were like, this will never, ever, ever happen kind <laughs> of thing. Um, and then... So I kind of scaled it down, but then I started um, researching into medieval mysticism yeah. and came across that book, the Book of the City of Ladies. And I've done lots of adaptations before, so I thought, I'm going to adapt this. But then instead of like, you know, like blowing my load in meetings, mm. like I want to do a 12-hour performance yeah. or whatever, mm. I started just being like, oh, okay, I'm going to develop a character for each opportunity I got. So the first time was at um, the Hayward Gallery for their Mirror City exhibition. Yeah. They commissioned the first kind of iteration of the project, which were three characters. And who were these characters? Um, the Medieval Mystic, yeah. uh, the Neanderthal, and... Um, the Vampire? No, Woman on the Edge of Time, which, which is going back to a kind of seminal feminist um, science fiction oh. book called Marge, uh, by, by Marge Piercy. Yeah. And you create an inner monologue for these characters. Yeah, that's right. And you write that yourself. Yeah. And then you have performers, dancers, actors who you audition to play these characters. Um, no. Yes and no. I mean, there's often, I work with often the same... There's a narrator, right. usually... And I work with... Is that ever yourself? Because your voice no, is never featured, is no, it? No, no. Never, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> never, no, no. And have no. you ever performed in your own... I did, yeah. When I first started right. uh, doing performances, I was the main kind of character. Yeah, of course you're going to be the lead. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then I... <clears throat> but it was because I'd come from... I guess before... I, I started out as a f fashion photographer mm -hmm. and then I started making videos. 
And then when I came to London, I didn't know anyone here. And it just made sense. I bought a camera. And I think a lot of like practices start that way. Where I just used myself not out of any kind of like huge conceptual remit. It was just like I was available and I was free. Right. Um, so I used myself initially in my work. So when I started doing performances, it made sense for me to be that person as well. Yeah. But then I quickly realized that it was much more interesting to have other people for me. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. In it and, and be able to to look from outside and not not have to, as well as direct people, be inside it. Would you say you're an ideas person? Yes. Totally. Yeah. That's like that's the fundamentals of your practice. Yeah, but I I really enjoy making. Yeah. And I really enjoy writing yeah. as well. But writing is ideas, and so is making in a way. But I do I do, I think there the um, like the points where I I'm really really in uh, kind of in some kind of form of ecstasy <laughs> right. is within the ideas and <laughs> when then, you're when you're creating the yeah idea. it's it's the idea definite that is the bit where I feel very kind of um, at the service of something if that makes sense a higher being is kind of <laughs> coming through you and creating the I work I don't know if it's a higher being it's it's <laughs> but you know like I feel very kind of in touch, connected. In t- connected, very connected. That. Well, that harks yeah. back to your... Because you were always destined to be an artist because you grew up in a hippie uh, commune, can we say commune? Yeah. In Goa and then in Belgium. Yeah. And all of your family were artists. They were all creative. My right. aunt is an artist. She she had the paintings that were in the Turner Prize yeah. exhibition outside. Those are... There are 12 of them, aren't there? Yeah, exactly. And they're, each is of a different... each character. Is it a star sign? Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Is it a star sign Zodiac? Is that the same yeah, thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I always get nervous when I talk about star signs because yeah. well, I don't actually know anything about it. Fine. But yeah, so it's 12 star signs... Uh, so 12 signs of the Zodiac. Exactly. Yeah, and it made sense because you were trying to involve your auntie, but you thought that was perfect because you have 12 characters. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of fitted. Yeah. I really wanted to talk about your auntie because I loved this idea that um, you spoke about about how um, it's what a privilege it was to grow up around, like Russell's saying, in this commune of people who were so creative. Because a lot of people, you might become an artist as some kind of rebellion against, you know, um, social norms. Authority almost. Or like something. I just heard yeah. Dave, it was David Bowie's birthday the other day and I heard him talking about this idea of social dis- dysfunction and how... Um, most artists are actually just socially dysfunctional because you're rebelling against something. But what I loved about your story is in a way it's not really social dysfunction, even if we are still separate from the main society and we we have different objectives and different ideas. Mm. But there's something so generous about the community that you grew up in. Yeah, so who else? Particularly you had your, your auntie. auntie. Was... I love yeah. the But who else was creative then? Um, my mum was, a f- she was an actress and then she became a photographer. Mm. My dad wrote and everyone around us made stuff if you see what I mean. Wow. So, like, once a year there was, um, I guess you'd call it, like, a talent show, but it was mainly directed by this very uh, transgressive, weird Dutch theatre company mm-hmm. that spent a lot of time in Goa. And they would, like, put together this show and you could, you know, it wasn't, like, cohesive. Like, everyone could put a little bit, bit in it, kind of. Like a sketch. Like a sketch. Yeah. But it was all very, like, you can imagine, mystical and psychedelic and, like, you know, like a crystal pyramid that at dawn the sun would hit. You know, my first kind of sense of uh, regret was during one of these shows where 
um, someone directed all the kids to come down this um, cliff. There was like a, a little footpath by the cliff holding like lit torches and wearing like these togas. Mm. And all the kids were going to come down it with these crowns made out of leaves. And after the rehearsal, my crown was, I think someone stepped on it or something and mm. it was broken. And I, 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 I refused to do it because my crown was broken. Like... You know, this kind Deep, of headdress. You were diva. Yeah, I was like... No, you, went full, I, you went full diva I was mode. like five-year-old five diva. And <laughs> psychedelic diva. Psychedelic yeah. five-year-old diva. And I was so sad because then I was at the foot of the cliff and everyone had bonfires. And I lay on my mum's legs and then all the kids came down and it in a procession and it was so beautiful. Mm. And I was so angry at myself that I'd been wow. so, like, petty. Yeah. About this stupid like. And you remember headdress. that feeling? Still. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah. did you know then? I'll never do that again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So becoming an artist felt like the norm. I suppose if you'd said I want to be an accountant, everyone would have been like, "What?" You say that, but lots of lots of the kids I grew up with have done really straight jobs. So and they've rebelled actually, against yeah, exactly. that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's their quite, rebellion. That's quite yeah. a common thing. Yeah, though, yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah. So in a way, I guess your your family probably really were hoping one day you would be an artist in the world. You know, making your voice heard. Yeah. And what? So what with your auntie? What was it like? Because I heard the story of you going into her studio and just the idea that someone is kind of making work every day yeah. as their job, yeah. and that being a possibility. Yeah. And and the fact that that was her whole, you know, that was her identity, that was her life, you know, and, and that's how she kind of communicated with people. Like, I remember always she'd paint gifts, you know, like as it was just like always around us, this like, idea of her doing exhibitions, her painting. Or well, like Christmas and birthdays, you get presents she'd yeah, made. Yeah, or yeah. like, you know, I remember she'd make a box for my dad or I'd pose for her. You know, there was always like this kind of awareness that that was her life. Yeah. Um, so and also the kind of story, you know, like she would tell me really imaginative, invent like these really imaginative children's stories about crystal worlds and like very hippie kind of stuff. But like, you know, it was very it was very open. And I think my creativity was always very encouraged, you know, as a kid, always to draw, write. You know, that was the main focus, really. Didn't you go and study at 13 at a major art? I did. Establishment. But it's true, but it's 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 a very different system in Belgium. Right. So in Belgium you could at the age of thirteen like go to the Beaux Arts. Yeah. Which is what which is the Beaux Arts is what is that? It's like the main it's like the Royal College or the Royal So a big yeah. time. It's a big yeah. But it's it, it's still high school, but you're already kind of um specializing in something. I don't I don't majoring know majoring in something. Yeah, exactly. Is, right? I don't know if it still exists even that system, but you could do that back then. And and you would spend like three your last three or four or five years, you'd still do all the other things. Yeah. But you had like art was a major part of uh, your curriculum basically. Practice, right. But I, I I could I didn't last very long there because I, I yeah I didn't last long. Why? <laughs> because I, I it was a uh, um in French. Right. And I spoke French, but like. I needed a lot of help with like mathematics and yes. I, I I just couldn't keep up. Because of growing up in the hippie commune. Yeah, I had to go to like I had to be helped like when I finally went to school. Like I, I That's when you were about ten. I was ten. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't read or write. So you, you hadn't know? been to school until you were ten no, years old? No, no. And how do you feel about that now looking back? Are you It was good. <laughs> <laughs> you had a good time, right? It was good, and also like I caught up really quickly. Eventually, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see yeah. what you mean. I finished when I was sixteen, and you've been yeah. quite self-taught the whole yeah. of your life. So you've never done like 
much art, a formal like art education that's like, have you? Uh, no, but I wanted to. You I, wanted to, I okay. did. So w- when I finished school, I went to Israel. My mum uh, moved back to Israel to be with her family. And I moved back with her. And there I did go to photography. I did study fine art photography. Okay, right. But I left in the middle of a crit. Right. Like, very dramatic. What, another diva? Yeah. It's okay. not, it's, it's like, it's <laughs> sensitive. It's not being, I couldn't deal with being criticized in that way. Like, not. But like an authoritarian figure, yeah, like criticizing you. Exactly. Or, or can friends criticize your work? And it's easier. No, now I don't care. Now I'm right. up for it completely. But I was very insecure. I was 18. Yeah. And my dad had just passed away. And I just wasn't really able to kind of withstand. You know, I had, I didn't, I mean, you know, it was very different then. Like I teach now, and the kind of nonsense that people would say then was so unacceptable. Like what? Yeah. Like what? Like, oh, you're never going to be an artist if you if you can't give your a name to your work. You know, like just stupid. If you can't title your work. Yeah, or... stupid stuff like that. that All was... these sort of critiques at the time were just really. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, look, I I've been very lucky as well. You know, I've had very good fortune and. Um, I didn't. I didn't get into any art school. I came to London in two thousand one, applied everywhere, uh, three times everywhere, and didn't get anywhere. Like I didn't get in anywhere. But what was their feedback? What was their reason? I, d- I never why? even got feedback. <laughs> really? So they would have to give you feedback wow. now, right? Would they? Now, well, now it's a different higher education is really different. This was like it was still free then. It was much harder to get in. Right. I never got you know like an interview even in any of those places. So what kept you going? Have you just always had to create? I, I mean, it's it sounds cheesy, but yeah. like I think I would have, I wouldn't be alive today if I didn't make work. Right. You know, so it, it's really the thing that makes um, like everything. It's sense. what makes sense and bearable. It's how I understand the world. It's how I feel anchored to something. You know, like I, I'm, I'm a very anxious person. Right. It's the only thing that kind of keeps my anxiety. It generates different anxieties, but you know, this kind of existential dread. It's the only thing that kind of keeps me functioning, really. So, like, I never. It was never an option not to do it. You know. And do you think, um, having grown up in like a commune where you're around a lot of people, and it's quite a kind of, it seems like from the outside, quite a sociable experience in a way. Do you think that is also why you've enjoyed being such a, a wonderful collaborator? Because you've collaborated with so many interesting yeah. people, and there's a few people that I adore, like Florence Peak. I know you've worked a bit with her, and um, and also Wising, wasn't it? And, yeah. And Wising, yeah, and also Let's Eat Grandma, who are an amazing duo, musician duo, who I just think are visionary, incredible people, and an amazing name. Yeah, but you've, but also. <laughs> within your work you have like 12 characters you have all these people so it's a big it's almost like um, on an f- epic kind of film scale like an opera or something you have this kind of like art yeah I, I mean I look at your work and I think when are you doing the opera wow when yeah that's a right, good question yeah <laughs> um, I, the work I was doing before before all this started yeah actually those weird performances in like unlikely places yeah. they had way more people in them really yeah some of them had like 45 people no way yeah but where would you find them and would you give Just, them parameters well, that's what i mean like that so two things one is that i think calling me a collaborator is very generous like with florence that was definitely a collaboration but i i see myself as more as a cooperative person okay because th- there are very strict parameters that i you know like i'll give people total freedom you know, like Let's Eat Grandma. I really loved their first album when I heard it on the radio and I approached them mm. immediately. And I just kind of, 
you know, gave them like a few references, but I, I don't sit there going like, okay, now, now make it like this or make it. So I do give, you know, freedom within these parameters, mm-hmm. but they're things that I would never, you know, allow anyone in on as well. Right. If that makes sense. Kind of. Like they're bits that I need, like I will never write with someone. Right. Ever. You know, there are many things, like even when I... But you're happy to give your writing to someone to read (coughs) and then let them do their own... Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So you're not like, in your head, that's it. But once it's out in the world, then you can can interpret that any way you want. Totally. And I'm not precious about, you know, like any of those things. It's Mm. just that there are certain parts of the process that I feel like I need to be very solitary. But I also think you're so specific in who you're choosing. Yeah. So you're it's almost like if you think of casting an actor or something. Yeah. If you're if if you're casting for your your performances, I feel like the fact you chose Let's Eat Grandma to be the people yeah. you're, are going to be in your thing. That, exactly. That's almost like choosing the colour red exactly. or choosing a colour blue. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's like such a specific thing. And then, of course, they can let their own souls pour out on, exactly. onto the exactly. performance. But you've chosen that. Yeah. So it's obviously you choose people that have a shared sensibility with yeah. you. Um, I've worked a lot more, actually, more closely with Maxwell Sterling, who's done the soundtrack for this last piece I did, which is a virtual reality play. But wow. yeah, so I've been working with him quite a bit. And he did the soundtrack for... The Florence um, Peak and and my yeah, um, yeah. collaboration as well. Okay. Yeah. So you're not scared of virtual reality or the internet or no any of that stuff. N- What's there to be afraid of? Well, no, it's great that you're <laughs> completely embracing it. So a virtual reality piece. Hey, how, yeah. so how does that work? So you put it on, and then inside, <laughs> um, you you're on. So you got on, the headpiece on. You, you've got the how many piece. of them do you have? I own three that are touring with this show but like they're it's in Dublin now right. at Temple Bar Gallery and they're um, I think god I can't I think they're called Digital Hub Ireland okay they've provided another eight so there's I think they're eight on all the time and inside it you, you are like on the faces of these very old characters yeah almost like an ant on someone's face, if that makes sense. Yeah. So your POV and the depth of field that you can do in um, the digital yeah. world is something that's not possible really in our world. Yeah. So, so I'm using that, this idea of being very, you know, so these faces become like... Um, so you're like a fly on a wall, but a fly a, in the face. A little bit, yeah. And they become like landscapes, you know wow. what I mean? They become like, yeah. And there's a cat called Oedipus. My cat's our cat's called Oedipus as well. And um, he's one of the characters. And he sings a cover of um, Outcast Miss Jackson. Of course. Very sad. What, slowed down? Yeah, like a really sad version of it. Oh my yeah. God, I want to go and see it. <laughs> so so, you, so the, 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 you are navigating like the face of these old people like it's an atlas. So you're, again, it's the micro version, yeah, right? Exactly. You've done with uh, Semiramis. Yeah, with the rock, your the stone, your kind of macro that yeah. you know, you're doing it on the face of someone yeah. with this. Wow! And it's it has an installation that goes with it, and and um, the characters are in the installation as well. So like we we did three D prints of the you know because they're computer generated, yeah. you can just print them in any size as well. So we printed the faces, and and they exist as a, like jewels in a bracelet around a snake, and oh, yeah, cool. they're all kinds of wow. Yeah. Where do you think you get your inspiration from? Um, sometimes it can be something quite like silly, like, or not silly, but like basic, like 
hearing a song and there might be a tone to it that I think is really like an emotional tone mm-hmm. that I, I find really resonates in a very abstract way, obviously. And then I try and think about how to recreate that tone in language, either verbal language or objects. So I think sometimes it's stuff like that. And you hold that tone in your head while you're working yeah. through it. But I, I read a lot and, right. and there are things that, you know, there are questions as a human mm-hmm. that preoccupy me. Um, and I try and kind of find ways to explore them in the work, mm-hmm. I guess. Are you a sci-fi fan? Yes. Do you watch sci-fi? I'm, I watch, I read and watch, but I'm not like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not very, how can I say it? Like, I don't have like some incredible, profound knowledge in any field. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> but what do you read, like sci-fi wise, what do you read? I read a lot of, of like, I read a lot of feminist sci-fi, like um, Ursula K. Le Guin, Octavia Butler. Um, so that was very much thinking for this work. But when I was young, very young, my parents were really, well, everyone around me were really into science fiction. So the first books I read were also science fiction. So I've always had like right. that kind of idea that, um, you know, science fiction is this kind of, speculative form that you can really try test out ideas that you know are very difficult to test out on on other platforms and in the science fiction feminist science fiction i've made a note proto feminism yeah that's what's exploring in the feminist science fiction no that's um um like christine de pizan because she wrote this in 1405 yeah so there wasn't really a thing called feminism so it's kind of pre-feminism but like all the um, you know, all the kind of 70s, 80s, um, 60s, 70s, 80s science fiction is, is part, you know, was part of a kind of political movement, I think, yeah. Love yeah, that. which is feminism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, overall, and, yeah. <laughs> and what, what about film? Yeah. Because I, what I found, I heard a talk you did once and I found it really fascinating. It was, I think it was like a Q&A or something. And you were saying they were trying to get you to talk about artists that you liked, which oh, obviously yeah, there's, many, you, uh, yeah. there's many that you like. Yeah. But, but it was interesting that like many other artists that I think are brilliant, often they're not looking necessarily at art because somehow they have to look to other places. And I yeah. heard that film is a big thing for you as oh, well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I love... Well, I, you know, if I think about things that like really blew uh, my mind when I was, I, I still, um, I want my mind to be blown, obviously, but I mm. think with age it, it changes because you do become exposed to more things and it becomes, you know, I don't know if you, you've probably had that thing where you're like 20 and someone says, oh, look at this thing or of listen course. to this thing and you're like, what the fuck? This has changed my life. It's more difficult with age to encounter yeah. these kind of experiences. Mm. But I remember, you know, like seeing um, this film by Hans-Jürgen Cyberberg and the visual language in it just like kind of... Is this Valmont? No. Oh, no, 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 no. That That's more like a kind of teenage crush thing. This is more like my cultural... You know, like when I I was already culturally aware. Uh-huh. No, Valmont was like my teenage kind of. You watched obsession. that twelve times. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I re- you should watch it again. <laughs> when was the last time you watched it? I, no, it was in a row. It was really, what you just yeah. like went back to back. Yeah, yeah. Looped. No, it. no, no. Day after day, like for a few weeks, I was obsessed. Yeah, it was very obsessive. Yeah. 
I what, had next... So what is Valmont for everyone who's listening? So it was a, it a recreation it, of something else? Well, um, Dangerous Liaisons That's right, dangerous came liaisons. out. So I think that was Stephen Frears who did the good one. Like the one that people think of as um, critically interesting. Yeah, defining yeah. of defining, it. Defining, yeah. yeah. Uh, it had, um, oh God, Glenn Close in it, I yes, think. Yes, yeah. And then not yeah, long... Cruel Intentions, didn't we, was the kind of the American yeah, yeah, exactly, high school version. Exactly. Yeah. With Ryan Philippe and with somebody. <laughs> yeah. I remember who was in that, yeah. And then there was like, um, not long after, Milos Forman, who is an interesting director, he did... That one. He did his own version, which was called Valmont, because the, the male character in Dangerous Liaisons is called Valmont. Right. And so it was just like, and this one had like, fuck, sorry. Yeah, you can say Colin, that. Colin Firth in it. Colin <laughs> Fuck, was you going to call it? <laughs> <laughs> and um, who else was it? It was just like a different flavor. You know what I mean? It wasn't as, like, the other one had like, um, Uma Thurman, you know, it was like a different type of actor, right. if you see what I mean. Yeah, like yeah. Much more... More like romantic comedies. Like yeah, exactly. Or, or this was much more yeah. like uh, mainstream. Yes. You right. know, and, commercial, and less, yeah. yeah, commercial, that's it. Yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, yeah. So, but I really, really, really like um, fell in love with it in a really deep way. But it wasn't that it inspired me. But what inspired me about it was that the impossibility of fiction, the fact that even you know if you saw it a hundred times, it would mm. always be the same temporal space that was explored. You know, like a few events, the same events. Like it wouldn't change upon revisiting, basically. No. But as a, a 12 or 13-year-old, I, I thought somehow that f by going again and again, something would happen and I'd see, like, it wouldn't be the same. Wow. You know, th there'd be like, like um, you You would like change molecularly in yourself or that suddenly no, that you would suddenly like unlock I'd, a... I'd unlock something by my devotion to this. Like a portal and that yeah. would open and nothing up. Yeah. Did. Like no. another dimension. Yeah. But you wanted to affect wow. people in the way that that movie affected you. I you wanted, wanted to I, distill that. I missed that. it. I missed, I had a longing mm. for the world in that film. I relate to that yeah, so much. Yeah, I, I remember to go back. When I read that, I was like, it made me go back to two movies I saw as a kid, The Goonies. Yeah. When that finished, I would then watch it again and just yeah. be like, I want to I want be, to be, be a Goonie. I want yeah. to be there. I want to be yeah. doing all of that. Yeah. And then Dead Poets Society with yeah. Robin Williams. When yeah. they stand up on the tables at the end, yeah. I was just like, I've captured my captain. I'm like, I want to be in that class. Yeah. yeah. And when the film finished, I'd be like, I want to be, I want to have that experience. I want that yeah. person in my life. Exactly. I want, I want, so that, that's, but that's the power of cinema. 
Yes. Is that it really can like suspend your disbelief in this way and it mm. can you know it can touch on very very like delicate types of affects. So that to me was like wow I I want I can't believe that we as a species have the possibility of doing that of creating something that could make someone else want that so much. Yeah. Mm. So I was like I want I want to do I want to do that. I want to be able to make something that you would want to come back to. Yeah, revisit. Yeah. Is that why you stayed with um, your, for the last five years, been exploring this theme that you stayed in? I think it, yeah, but it's also, it ju- it's just a really good organising um, pattern. Do you know what I mean? To be like, okay, I'm making these characters. Yeah, it's quite a productive thing. Yeah, it? It like is. A lot can come exactly. out of those. It's like setting yourself a rule. Yeah. And then out of that rule, you actually end endless possibilities. Yeah, exactly. That, How do you know and when it's, it's over? Well, it's a decision. Uh-huh. It's just, well, there are two things. I think that, like, one thing was that my politics changed throughout the project mm. and that I was more naive when I started it mm. and I was discovering feminism while I was making the project. And I think that when I first started, I felt it was, um, you know, like the art could have this incredible role, which I'm not sure anymore about. Okay. Um, I thought that I could... Uh, well, I have an incredible role in the world of changing... Politics. Politics. Yeah. Okay. And I thought that it was really important to write, you know, inscribe feminized experiences into culture, which mm. I, I think is important. Mm. Yeah. But I think that through reading, I realized that, you know, there are... I was... I think there are material realities to feminism that are being fought in very different arenas and that people are putting themselves in danger, you know, so that other people can live safely, basically. Like who? Like what, what examples? Like activists, people that are really, you know, at the forefront. Mm. And we're talking about this country or, or universally? Universally. And I think, you know, that um, what intersectional feminism is, that is not a white... Uh, kind of feminism, you know, mm-hmm. that thinks about race, thinks about class, thinks about these things. I think it then like changes also how how what you see your role is, mm. you know, like you're a contributor, you're not an author anymore. Do you know what I mean? I think so. And I think that like for me, it became important to think about feminism as a material reality, you know, what its aims are mm-hmm. at, in addressing a material reality that I'm very privileged in. Mm. And that we and that the art world is a very privileged arena mm. in. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, totally. So how so, is that yeah. changing your work? I mean, how do you continue making work? Yeah, it's feeling that. Yeah, it's very. It is difficult, and it is difficult thinking about what do you do then, like what. But I think it's it's a process, and you take you know you take time yeah. think to absorb these this project for me I'm I'm still kind of absorbing a lot of it. Yeah. Um, talking about. A lot of the outcomes, I think there are important things that, for me anyway, that have come out of it. But, like, I don't know if this kind of declarative, fantastical, you know, arena, platform, whatever, you know, that Mm. I I created with this project. Mm. I feel like it's, it's, its use has been fulfilled used up or yeah or just like i don't know i don't know i don't see the urgency so does something like winning the turning prize give a button on that now you feel like okay that's a really lovely way to round this up i yeah i felt that 
in Glasgow already right, though because okay. I knew that was it like I yeah, did yeah, yeah. the 12 before characters. you got the nomination yeah, yeah definitely and then when the nomination came in I knew that you know a different audience would be um, encountering it which is amazing mm, exposed yeah. to you yeah. and your work yeah and you know and I think also that, I mean it's always it's that different difficult tension between thinking about like in the art world or and in academia which is where I am situate you know I'm not a commercial artist my practice it's very much within like a kind of academic discourse I institution yeah work seems institutional exactly. yeah and it, in those places you take for granted also I mean it's that difficult tension where on one hand you take for granted what people like people's positions socially mm. you know because you're surrounded by people that think similarly to you yeah your disagreements are very you know are, are about nuance as opposed to huge kind of yeah yeah and then you so you think with oh, the people the, the close people you surround yourself yeah with, you or, mean, or yeah. like people you teach with people you exhibit with yeah so you know your conversations are very like oh yeah now maybe it's old hat or you know, like, what's the new thing? Or, you know, there's always a kind of desire to kind of push further. But then you also forget that, like, there are people that, for them, they're just discovering feminism or they're just discovering these right. things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that socially these things are only beginning to, to A, on one hand, like, good things are happening with it, yeah. but it's also being cannibalized by capitalism and losing a lot of its power as well, you know? Mm. So it's that weird tension where, on one hand, you're like... It's still really important. I still really want to make work about it. But then how do you talk about, you know, your own privilege in that situation, mm. the privilege of the place where you're making the work? Mm. You know, it's difficult to find ways to to kind of push it further in that way. Mm. So, I mean, like for me, I definitely feel like the work I'm making now is more personal than that was. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's... Although it was really personal, but yeah. like, Yeah. You've gone deep. You've gone a layer deeper. Yeah, and yeah, With more knowledge, more information. Now you're like yeah. suggested but, that, and you, the, you burrowed deeper. Yeah, really yeah. important thing is that you are questioning it all, and you're not just sort of going to be an island like on your own. And you are thinking about intersectional feminism, which you have to because that's you know it's the only way. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah, and it's really important. Mm. Yeah, and the fact that you you I think you need to still be part of the dialogue. It's not like you should no, stop. Yeah, and doing... I want to, of course, yeah, of but course. I'm just figuring out what you yeah, know, what, like what, what is, is yeah. because like kind of saying this is you know maybe saying this is my imaginary world mm. is not the right strategy but right now. With, Do you know what I mean? Then so it's how politics fits into that imaginary world. Yeah. How you can make I think you said that how politics can be iterated in a fantastical context. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to yeah. work out. Yeah. And that's also quite like a this, big thing to try is, and like but like I think the idea of the fantastical or the yeah. imaginary has always been a strong force in politics. I don't think it's a new you know, I don't think I've created that. That's mm. always been there. You know, yeah. like all, all struggles have Afrofuturism or, you know, all these um, different kind of strands of speculative fiction have often had very strong uh, political um, aims within it. You know, right. like commu like uh, Russian communism was used science fiction all the time. Yeah. You know, to kind of talk about capitalism. Space. There was always space in yeah. there, wasn't there? Yeah. And also just like, you know, films that had like... Um, that critiqued capitalism in a very specific way, but as if it's science fiction. You know, science fiction is always about the contemporary, ultimately. Yeah. It's never about any... It's about the future. But it's about now, actually. Is it? Yeah. It's it's the best... It's like if you look, even aesthetically, at like 1960s future... like. Of, uh, science fiction films. Yeah. They're actually the most distilled, perfect visual 
expression of the era of within the era, their mage. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. It's always like that. I never thought of that. Okay. <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's true, yeah. The other thing I really like about the two things, well, I, I loved, just like you've been talking about this whole idea of science fiction and why that was so important in your work and also how I think you've managed to think a lot about otherness and um, kind of a non-binary kind of... Queerness. Queerness and all that, beyond even queerness, kind of just like the idea of otherness and how strong that is in your work and how I think there is definitely you know, through the privilege you have, A, from having grown up with a creative family who supported you and you were open-minded anyway, but also, I guess, the fact we're white and we have, you know, we're in an art world that supports us and we have institutions support us. I feel like you you help to use that platform for others and 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 to promote ideas of other, other, otherness. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're sort of just doing it for your own gain. I feel like you've got a solidarity and uh, whether you consciously had it or not and that's kind of why I've respected what what you're doing because I, I try yeah I, mean, and I think and yeah. the fact you are trying though but that's great you know and that, that's the only thing you can do isn't it I mean yeah it's yeah I, I do try I do try and um you know like this idea of a city of women I was very worried um when I was nominated that you know like it would be misconstrued right as as, well. uh, as a space that was for um, cis women only, mm, you know. Mm, mm, mm. And I wanted it to be very clear that it's a space that's inclusive mm. and that it's not, I mean, a space that it's just a, a bloody installation, do you yeah. know what I mean? But like conceptually that it's not like for cis women. Yeah. And particularly in the UK, I feel there's such a disgusting, horrible treatment of trans people here. Mm, yeah. I find it really like... I yeah, I can't get my head around how mean and violent and but awful as a, it as is. As a feminist, as a the the way that the, there's a feminist transphobia, which yeah. is I think that's what you're really talking about. There, yeah. I mean, there is a transphobia overall, but yeah. there's a there's a real like staunch feminist view of yeah. transgender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I and I find it unacceptable. I find it completely unacceptable. I find it mean and and so like regressive mm. and just I don't I don't quite understand how it's been given such a mainstream platform as it mm. has you know there's like people talk about it like debate like trans people don't have to convince other people for their right to live no do you know what I mean and and it's being framed as like let's listen to both sides there's no sides here you there's know, no it's, right or wrong. It's, it's like they just want to. Trans yeah. people want to live yeah. and be whatever they want to be, and no one else should be telling them what to do. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Like, but obviously, you know, there's a huge contingent in the Bre- British media, mum's neck kind of feminists, that feel very strongly, and I think they're completely. Delu- I'm going to get so well if Ooh. they hear this, but they're delusional they're completely their idea of like equality is is so toxic it's the idea that we would then be equal within like you know like that we'd be that equality means having our own like for cis women to have another group to victimize do you know what i mean mm. and I, I just find that really deranged to be honest yeah it doesn't make any sense no it? not at all if you've been oppressed why would you yeah why would you want to have it exactly yeah. and why and why would you want to be a gatekeeper like i i have no right to say who can be whatever why, why do people feel mm. they they should be convinced you know it's like that's the whole point is that like no one has the right to bestow equality or permission on anyone else yeah and that's what's wrong is that a lot of people feel like in the uk they have to be 
convinced, you know, like, tell me a good argument why trans women, you know, should be allowed to use toilets or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's it's not up to you to decide. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's not for you. So is you know? this is and is this feeding into this new work you're making? No, but I mean, I mean, that's the th- like my political positions. I use my my visibility to yeah. talk about these things. I mean, in in the work, it's very clear that I don't have a binary position about gender, but I do use my platform to also try and you know like be an ally to trans women. Yeah. Or Palestinian people, yeah. you know, there's certain things that I, I feel strongly. And has, that, has about. there been a lot more visibility since winning the Turner Prize? Yeah, I mean, the 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 trans uh, anti-trans activists, TERFs as they're known, you know, they they contacted Turner Contemporary to get my nomination um, to try and with have my withdrawn. Yeah, because wow. yeah, because they, you know, because of what I said about supporting trans rights. So, you know, it's. It's just weird, like suddenly where you. you but it's become... also incredible that you've had that effect on people. No, but they're like that. They're like that. They'll they'll like you know Google in Twitter, right. and they anyone... find the person yeah, to hide person. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the common thing now. RV. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like that church in the states, isn't it? That goes and pickets like events yeah. where where there's like you know God hates fags yeah, and all exactly. that sort of thing. They hold exactly. them placards up. Exactly. It's like these people yeah. find. Yeah, they, they hijack yeah. well-known people or anyone that's got any visibility in order for their own well-known. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like they and <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to start like, but they'll go to like events where yes. they know they'll be unhappy with the ideology right. to then try and like attract you know like a kind of mass trolling on them. But the have thing, you experienced trolling? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. How do you deal with it? I, I mean, you have to not. You have to ignore it really because I mean, you know. There was one, I think, one time I tried to start answering. <laughs> oh my god, it's yeah, not it's a good idea. Isn't yeah, it? and yeah. also like you just you, you could spend days, you know, because it's also you give a te- if you answer, it's like there's suddenly you they multiply they breed yeah, and also <laughs> they want they want to yes. reengage and reengage and reengage. I've had really bad trolling about from turfs, and I've had. Um, Why re- are they called turfs? It's trans exclusionary radical feminists. That's it's an acronym. And how many of them are there? A lot in this country, too many. And they're active. They're like they're very active, and you know, like the Guardian will often publish really anti-trans articles saying, like, let's have a conversation. You know, like let's debate this. It's like I don't understand why. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, shall we start debating if, like, you know, people want to live in a completely? You know what I mean? It's it doesn't matter. I, yeah. I just don't understand why it's given so much uh, airtime. Air why time people here. are like, just yeah. let them live. Let people just yeah. make their decisions. Totally. Let them do their lives. And, and, then... and support them. You know, a lot of it's a it's a really brave decision to yeah. make. And it takes a lot to make it. And is I Is it just up... the natural progression of what it is to be human and in a minority? Is that you're always going to get attacked? And when that minority becomes like accepted, parenthesis, then they move on. Yeah, to the prob- next thing. Because for a while it would have been being gay, of exactly. course. Exactly. And I grew up with, like, um, in Goa, um, in our house, apart from my dad, all the men there were gay. And all the men that I grew up with, they, you know, had families that shunned them. They were not accepted by, you, you know, they, they had very difficult, like now it, it, we live in different kind of social con- conditions around that. Mm. But they were people that were, like, bullied, uh, beaten, 
you know, had very difficult time expressing their identity. Yeah. And I think that's, the, you know, that's what, what's happening now in a way with trans people. But like the short-sightedness of it is really weird, you know, when we know that this has happened and like the kind of lies that it's, and they use the same kind of language language and lies. Why haven't we learned from history? That yeah. It's just repeating itself yeah. again, but just another yeah. group of people. Totally. It's it's just and and I yeah I just find it deplorable that the liberal media in this country will like not just take a firm position because ultimately people that are trans are vulnerable in many different ways mm. and they they have the right to our support basically maybe because they want the conversation to continue they want the conversation to continue the media. it sells yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's all part of this culture war that we're in now and you know but. I think there are things about the culture war that are acceptable mm. and there are things that are not. And I think that people's rights to dignified lives are not ever on the table for debate. Mm -hmm. mm. Good. Agreed. Wow. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've never had like a, a proper like... Uh, opinion like that. I mean, everyone's got their thing, but we've never had this like real opinion towards something on talk art so far. I, I think that's just amazing. Well, I think. Well, I we love have, it. I think we have deliberately invited certain guests on the show, though, in order to let their voices be heard, yeah. because they aren't being heard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, even interviewing Caroline Coon. She's great. And, I love her. Work. And yeah. now we did a full hour interview talking about only her art. We didn't yeah. talk about the punk thing. We didn't talk yeah. about her mm. inventing the word punk rock. Anything yeah. like that. We very briefly touched on it, and mm. I, I feel proud of that. On that note, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> That I, I want you to answer is yes. what is the supernatural backdoor? Ah, uh, yes, I, I think I've referred to that in the past as um, historical moments where women had um, somehow through the supernatural backdoor. Mm. Sounds quite erotic, yes. doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Eroticism <laughs> is a theme in your work as well. Yes, <laughs> they've had access to public roles and opportunities to kind of a mass influence and power through supernatural means. So like medieval mystics were incredibly revered by the church at the time. Um, they were seen as very close to the divine, very porous and open to divinity. Yeah. And their writing was seen as, you know, almost like a kind of um, interpretation of, of a very direct divine. Well, like the Dalai Lama is in direct contact with God sort of yeah. thing. Okay. So, or the so, Pope as well, no? Well, yes, yeah. but these were like women that were not necessarily rich or, you know, they were like, um, they wrote about like very erotic, you know, like Teresa of Avila wrote about very erotic mm. encounters with the divine, like very bodily kind of corporal things. And then obviously that influence was then became suspicion mm -hmm. and they were then perceived as witches and burnt but there was this like time where they were seen as like very um powerful in different ways and then you have um writers of gothic fiction so again like this kind of Anne Radcliffe um Mary Shelley, you know, like writers who suddenly like gothic fiction became a really big thing mm -hmm. and it was women writing it under pseudonyms or mm. not only, obviously, but, mm. you know, suddenly there was like this platform where there was an appetite for these kind of fictions that were very, again, supernatural. And, mm. um, and then mediums like during Victorian 
like the the um, Victorian spiritual renaissance where a lot of the spiritualists, the biggest ones, the most influential ones that were being consulted, you know, during wartime mm. were women, you know, mm-hmm. and they were seen again as ones that like were were able to facilitate this communication with the beyond. And they got in the back door through their supernatural abilities. Do, do you believe in the supernatural? I believe in all, all the all the natures. Have you ever seen a ghost? Um, I don't believe in in, in a kind of uh, afterlife in the way that we see it. Mm. But I've felt strange things. Mm. I say. saw I saw a ghost dog once. Yes. What was not a ghost dog? Believe, yeah, not many people believe me, but I definitely saw a ghost what did dog. You see? A dog. A dog. A ghost dog. Yeah. Run up the stairs yeah. and then run down the hall and went through a door. And I was like, I've just seen a ghost dog. And previously in the house I was in, there was a medium, a female medium there, and she was stroking this dog in the air. My friend's mum was like, What's that? She's like, Oh, you've got a big white dog in this house. And I swear to God I saw it, but I don't know if I knew but, that information. But, you... but then I was talking to someone yesterday and I yeah. said about ghosts and everything, and they went, Well, if you've seen a ghost dog, has anyone ever seen a ghost dinosaur? And I was like... And then what did I say? I don't remember what you said. I said, yes, I had. I'd seen ghost pterodactyls. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Ghost I regularly see ghost pterodactyls. You know what? Yeah, why are there no ghost dinosaur sightings? It's true. Well, I mean, I think they, there is... I mean, okay, if I, if I was to believe... Like, if, let's say, there was some kind of empirical proof that there... I, I, I don't believe in an afterlife, so that makes ghosts difficult okay but let's say if there was some kind of weird proposal where like certain maybe actions create some kind of indent in the time space fabric yep that then it comes back somehow or something like that like a strong energy that remains yeah that remains and then it kind of circulates it's almost like an echo yeah Yeah, like a repeat of something exactly Yeah. yeah so if someone said yes you know that that happened that happens, like that's a fact, then it would make sense that like incredibly traumatic events would create that. I mean, I have had weird things happen for sure. I've had like, I lived in a house years ago and I could hear someone sawing wood at night sometimes. And then I asked the person who'd lived there and a carpenter had committed suicide in the house. Oh my God. So... That was like a weird, you know. I, at night, I'd be like, "Where is that coming from?" You just, you must have just been like, "I'm sawing all this wood. It won't stop. It won't stop. <laughs> It'll make it but stop." But you know, when you're like, you're not yeah. even scared. You're not thinking like this you, is creepy. Because you, you're you're just, you just like, go take for granted. You go, yeah. "I'm sawing wood." Oh, yeah. God, I don't know why I do it this or, time of night. But yeah. Why? Why is it coming from? I can't place like, it. Fire. So that kind, that happened. Yeah. And when I was little, I used to hear a procession coming towards us, the house. Yeah, and I'd get into bed with my mum and dad because I was so scared and my right arm would start heating up and I could hear it coming closer and closer and closer procession of what people just marching singing or chanting or yeah like kind of hitting objects together my god that's intense yeah wow yeah I love that (laughs) okay I love you and then there's one more thing that I've connected with you is that which I love is the fact that as an artist uh, you never studied, but you never as an artist had an imposter syndrome, but you have imposter syndrome as an academic. Yeah, I think it's normal. And apparently, like, um, some study came out that m- more women feel that anyway. But I mean... The, yeah. Oh, in an academic term? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I don't... I, I do and I don't, you know, because it's, it's a weird thing. I do think, yeah, because I, I haven't studied. I, you know, sometimes I feel like 
what am I doing? Why am I telling sure, people yeah. this stuff? Like, mm. how do I know it's true? Or Same. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was an also, actor starting yeah. to do theatre and then everyone around me had like come out of Lambda yeah. or RADA yeah. and I'm there like from Essex doing yeah. drama clubs, working yeah. class. They're like, I don't really, I do my acting and I'm, I'm confident I can act. Yeah. But all the other stuff, I don't feel worthy to be here so I'm just going to shut up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or like suddenly you're like, wow, why, you know, you're you're passing on something. I think that what helped me anyway is thinking about my practice, you know, like in art schools, you know, practice is research, like they call, you know, like your practice is your research, basically. Right. So I think thinking about it in that way more and like that, that I am an expert in what I do. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. And I think it's yeah. important to have different kinds of teachers as well. Yeah. Because otherwise, nothing ever changes. Exactly. So the yeah. fact that you are teaching, mm. that was my first thought when I heard you were a teacher and that you'd been self-taught. I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah, because, that's what I mean. Because yeah. you're bringing something new. And also, I know that you're somebody that's very open to the new ideas and to young people yeah. and you get inspired by that. Yeah. So therefore, it's a really positive thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, I love, I, I do love doing it. I've, I'm struggling a little bit to do it whilst I am also making a lot of work. Yeah. It's difficult yeah. to do both. Yeah, I'm sure. But I, I you How know, many I, days are you in? You're at the RCA. This, yeah, College this Rider. year I'm, I'm in less because I had to cut back a little bit. But usually I'm in three days a week, which is yeah. quite a lot. And do you like teaching, though? I do, like... I do like teaching. I do like teaching. I do like the, the, the bits where it's the teaching. I'm not yeah. crazy about... The admin, <laughs> the bureaucracy of it. side, who is? Yeah, yeah, I mean, who is? Yeah, I, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I mean, especially I feel creative. Like, yeah. I think we're all the same. Yeah, can't bear it. So we ask every guest who comes on yeah. Talk Art two questions. The first one is, um, if you could steal any artwork that you've seen that could be like a touchstone to you, um, and you could do an art heist, we will help you. We'll bring vans, cranes, planes, anything okay. you need. Uh, it could be huge or tiny, which is okay. good for you because you like scale. Yeah. Um, yeah, what, what, would, what, what would you choose to take home? I'd, I'd, I'd take Paul Feck's uh, portrait as a, of a dead hippie. Wow. Yeah. Where have you seen that? I love it. I haven't. I've only seen it in images. Really? Yeah. Is it in a private collection? Or is I'm not it, sure is it even where it is. And what does have, it look we'd like? We'd have to do a lot of research. We have to hunt it down. It, it, he's my favourite artist. Really? Yeah, Good. ever. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it's him. It's a It's a kind of sculpture of him mm. um, with these beautiful kind of coins, like death mask kind of coins. Mm. And he built a ziggurat temple that doesn't exist anymore uh, to house this body but it's, it's like the, the most beautiful artwork ever and that's like 1967 yeah okay it's like it's perfect like that is my you know when I lie in bed at night thinking of how good I want something to be like that's splitting the atom for me wow yeah that's your thing wow. that's my like yeah and there's actually quite a lot of documentation yeah we could yeah, there's so many it. things that, from what you say and talk that relate to me because I as an actor as a performer I remember when I saw Angels in America the mm -hmm. TV show on HBO when it was transcribed mm -hmm. to TV and I remember watching that and being so moved that whenever I did acting I was like I want to feel like I felt when I watched yeah. that show I want to be in that show yeah. when I do this performance yeah and that's it and you talking about that I think is that same sort of transformative yeah. thing where you're like you place yourself there and go that that's the pinnacle for me. That for yeah. me was everything. Everything, everything. yeah, totally. That so that I mean, there are many pieces that I really, really love. I love Helen Chadwick. Yes. I love Valley Export. There are many artists I really love. You know, I I actually still 
obviously really love the surrealist. You know, there mm. are many things I really love, mm. but there's something about that, the sensibility of it, the kind of materiality. Mm. It's so perfect. It's so kind of light as well as profound. And it kind of, yeah, it's got an epicness, but an economy of means to it. Yeah. I love it. But, and actually thinking about Paul, Paul Tech, like the hand. Yeah. When I saw your mm. hand, it was one of the questions I was yeah. going to ask you and I forgot. Yeah. was about like this theme of the hand and the yeah. motif of the hand. Is yeah. that also somehow related to Paul Tech or not? No, not, not really no, actually, not really. but I do, I do love the little yeah. hand. Yeah. I mean, he's also like so, you know, I don't know if you know his... Um, he he did these kind of like pieces of meat in Perspex books. Yes, 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 yes. Hello, Damien Hirst. Yes. I mean, like, come on. No, it was it was you an influence I mean? for him. Yeah, big yeah. time, but like big time. But yeah. no one knew at the time he was a very unknown artist. Totally, yeah. You know but also I mean? there was an amazing yeah. book that came out maybe about 15 years ago that was called, no, maybe 10 years ago even, called um, Paul Tech, An Artist, 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 Artist which yes. is an incredible book. I want book. that book. But that sums it all up. I want because, that book. Have you not got it? No. I'm going to post it to you. Really? I, I have it. Really? I have the original first edition. Because I'll send you it know that it, it's uh, out of print and it's like 200 quid or something. Do you know like what? That. I'll send it to you as a gift. Really? But yeah, I will do, I promise. Oh as soon as you found it, 200 quid, you're like, do you know what? I'll scan it. I'll scan it and email it to you. No, do you know why? Because I've, I've seen it so much yeah. that it's already in... It's I've, in you. I've got all the information. And that's quite nice for an artist to I would love to, to send that to you because this has been such a great interview. As no, an artist artist because so many artists but don't like to be an artist artist yeah, 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 but he's yeah. actually claiming he is, that. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, he is an artist artist yeah. and I think that's, yeah, that's the best kind yeah. always. Yeah. Well, this is nice. Uh, another question we ask, yeah. all of I guess, is what's your favourite colour, Ty, Shani? Oh, I'm going to have to say pink. Just Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And pink yeah. was a colour, because actually candy colours yeah. appear a lot mm. in your yeah. installations and work. Yeah. And what what is that? You need to do a pop well? like, video as well. That's what I see ooh. you oh, doing. Oh, yeah. Really? That like might Katie happen, Perry actually. pop video. It might happen. It might happen. Yeah? Cool. That's good. Yeah. Yes, a pink. Love yeah, that. Yeah, pink. I mean, pink is very, also Paul Thick, sorry to go back to him, but he loved pink as well. Mm. And his pink is like the pink I really love. And it's a very varied colour. Uh-huh. You know, like from... If you think about a very like an affective kind of relationship uh-huh. with a very pale pink and a very strong one, they're very different. Mm. You know what I mean? In a way that if you think about other colours, they don't have that range of emotive yeah, kind of tone. Emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Like pink can be disgusting uh-huh. and it can also be like the most elegant thing. Yeah. You know, it can be garish. It can be totally sophisticated. Like I love pink. <sighs> Yeah. Well, we love you. Uh, this has been the most been amazing so chat. We've uh, covered so much, but I think my favourite thing is we've never, we've never all hung out before, have no. we? No. And it feels like we know, we've known you forever. And I heard you say in another interview you did with a curator that you'd worked with, um, and you said something like, oh, this interview's been great because it's nice when you know someone so well. Yeah. So you almost have a shorthand with each Rosie, other. Yeah, but Rosie, I, yeah. Yeah, with Rosie, exactly. Yeah, Rosie yeah. Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I almost feel like today's been so yeah, relaxed. But you, and... you guys have the ghost train forever. Oh, yeah, we do but have that connection. I, but I don't think I knew you back then. No. No, no, but one other thing to add was yeah. when you, you know, because you started talking about the Tetley. Yes. And I just wanted to say, to give props to Bryony Bond yes. at the Tetley. Bryony's Because amazing. she is amazing. Yeah. And she was the first person that said, let's make this happen mm. about this project, oh, wow. actually. When everyone was like, you're mad. And like, 
you know, who's going to give you the money? You know what? Barbara, she yeah. did the same with Jessie Flood Paddock. She's and great. she said, Jessie, you can do anything you yeah. want. And Jessie did this giant yeah. lion's head. Yeah. And um, oh, yeah, she yeah, does yeah. have that wonderful, there's certain great gallerists and certain great curators who will make ideas possible. Yeah. Like, who love know, artists. Help facilitate. She loves artists. She does she, love she artists. Did, she loves she, big ideas. She does. Yeah. And she travelled across the UK with me. Yeah, wow. And, you know, to go and have meetings with partners wow. to get other people on board. She's brilliant. Bryony Bond. Bryony Bond. Out. You're great. <laughs> yeah. so Thank nice. you so much. Well, from us and Colin Fuck. We would, we would like to say thank you so much for coming on thank the rom com coming soon. <laughs> um, all images, all images for everything we talked about today will be on the Instagram page at Tall Cards. And Ty, do you have an Instagram page? Yes. What's that? I, th- I think it's just my name, Ty Sharmi. I think so. Cool. Maybe okay. and the website as well as check yeah, it out. All your yeah. work can be seen on the website. It, it, I haven't updated it. No, but yet. also you can yeah. buy a set of 12 um, po- uh, prints you on your website in the yes. shop, which look really beautiful. Thank They're you. kind of like cards, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. And you've got your book now as well, yep. which yep. is just our being published. Our Fatal Magic. Yeah, yeah Our Fatal Magic. Yep. That's your writing. And your yep. fanzine as well, Buried. Yes, but I think that they're all sold out. Oh, they're but sold like, out. Yeah. Because that looks really cool. Maybe you can send a copy to Rob as an art swap. I'll try. I don't. I, she hasn't got one. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. I'll find it on Amazon. Yeah, or something. Okay. I will. Yeah, I'll, I can ask. I'll... I can ask the person. He's actually actually he's doing a compendium. Oh wow! Because yeah, I'll tell you about. That. Anyway, we don't need not yeah. swap because yeah. it's a gift from Talkart. Oh. It's, it's um, a gift. But we we will be back very soon. <laughs> a gift thank from you, Colin Shani. Thank you so thank much you. for coming on. Uh, that was amazing. Yeah, more soon. Cheers, thank guys. Bye. 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 That was fucking brilliant. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com